hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of the Young Adult Cancer. I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, and I am a proud 18-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. Andy Goodman is off tonight in an undisclosed bunker location with Dick Cheney. She'll be joining us soon in a couple of weeks. We wish her all the best and send her all our love. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy leaving, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. All right, got a special show tonight, Stupid Cervical Cancer. January is... Cervical, National Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, and we're shining a light on this horrible disease with advocacy leaders Tamika Felder of the uh, Tamika and Friends uh, Foundation and Survivor.org, and Chandra Hall, who's the Regional Director of the National Cervical Cancer Coalition Southwest Division, Survivor Spotlight on blogger, future author, cervical cancer survivor Suzanne Kane. And I am Maureen Sweet. Programs and Operations Manager here at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodex. So send me your questions and feedback at any time using hashtag SCRadio. All righty. Good evening. Good evening. I can't remember my title. Uh, Chief, not almost everything else, officer. Chief some stuff. You're officer. a manager, manager of Progops. Yeah, I, I had no the idea. The Division. The Magnarp <laughs> Division. My favorite Ikea. Ikea lamp. Exactly, exactly. Well, how art thou, folks? We art well. Thank yes. you. Yes. I am whilst well. <laughs> <laughs> Here's to four, forthwith, forthwith, henceforth, <laughs> therefore. Kenny, uh, you uh, took a little trip last week to our favorite city, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, um, I spent the weekend in Vegas. So you said you spent your fortune in Vegas. Yes. Yeah. Both. Both. You'd have to have a fortune to spend it. Yes. What were we doing there? I was at the S&OP Summit, 
which is supply and operations management, demand forecasting. That sounds all fancy. What does that mean for the layperson? Uh, how to run a store. Something <laughs> like that, yeah. How was, to know when you launch a product, how many people will buy it yeah, in I, advance I, of them buying yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. It's like, uh, it's like Inception. <laughs> and I had lunch with the... Uh, memento. I had lunch with the operations team from K-Swiss, so that was pretty cool. That's a big shoe company. Yes. Were they impressed? Uh, with me or with with? Well, no one's impressed themselves. with you. With it, with, well, <laughs> maybe perhaps a combination. Uh, yeah, I think they had a good time. So, who was in attendance there, and why were you there? Uh, there were a lot of people who manage inventory, and I was there because I manage inventory, probably on a much, 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 much smaller scale. <laughs> with a lot of muches. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Maureen, how was your weekend? My weekend was excellent. I kept up my never stay in one place mantra and uh, headed out to Philly for a housewarming party for some friends. I love Philly. It might be my second favorite city. I'm not sure yet. Really? I'm not sure. I really have a good time every time I'm down there. Um, so shout out to Maybe you South should move PTA. there. <laughs> Maybe I should If you like it so much, why don't you marry it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They can have kids. Yeah. And they'll be like West Philadelphia born and raised. <laughs> so... Q. That'd be pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Do you have that song? I could probably pull it you up, but I don't want to. It'll yeah. be 9.15 by the time he does. <laughs> Talk to me about your weekend, MC. Well, I had a small event. Uh, my wife turned the magical age of 40. Woo! Happy birthday. Happy birthday to my amazing wife, Jessica. The light of every morning and the dark of every evening. <laughs> Okay. Whatever that means. That right. works. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> no. Um, I'll be turning 40 this year. I married an older woman. Yeah, you did. A whole four months older than yeah, I am. Yeah, cougar. Yeah, I know. Mm. Total cougar. <laughs> we had her birthday party. It was like another bar mitzvah because we got the whole Mishpucha family, like oh, okay. 30, 40 people to come out to this restaurant. And the wonderful Kenny Kane was there. I was there. Nice. Uncle Kenny to my children. It was, Very cool. It was a good time. Were the kids there? Was the it kids a, were there. They were doing laps around the table. They were running around like crazy. They they normally go to sleep at 8. They went to sleep at 10.30 that night. Ooh. And they both put themselves to sleep at separate times in the stroller. Yeah. <laughs> and they were just kind of like... So like they took naps. Nap. They yeah. alternated naps in the stroller at the, at the birthday party. They were very well coordinated. Yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> pretty crazy. And uh, so what's going on with OMG? I know the steering committee had their meeting and there's been some follow-up. And yeah, yeah. Um, we're plugging right along. Um, we've got about 100 people definitely coming. That's plus amazing. a whole lot more. So um, sign up when you can, omg dot How are you liking our new campaign, the This Is OMG? You know, that is a really cool campaign you got going on, MG. Yeah. Uh, and if you've not been on our Facebook or Twitter or Instagram of late... Uh, MZ's showing images from past OMGs, uh, which are totally just representative. Ripped from the headlines. Yeah, it's really representative of the feel of the conference. Um, So if you have questions about it and you don't like reading a whole lot, look at some of these photos um, and see what the experience is And luckily, none of them are of me. None of them are of me. I got to say, I struggle to find pictures of guys. Like, I know we have a nice, you know, like a third of the attendees are male, but they don't take a lot of photos. You know, we we ladies really like to. You're you're not camera shy. We're not camera shy, especially you know some of those parties we get dressed up. We're like, you better document this. Exactly. My hair does not look like this. It must be public domain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we're getting a little more descriptive now. People are, they didn't know there's a pool party, there's a bowling party, there's a dance party, mm-hmm. there's a, now there's going to be like a yoga slash fun run thing in we're the morning. We're going to have like a fun run, yeah, so if you want to get your exercise done um, at like 6 in the morning, 
I might make it. <laughs> I'll do that right before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, if that's how you run your Vegas nights, that's totally fine. Um, we're also going to have so many cool sessions. I know, the We've workshops. Got, the te- I'm excited for good. stuff on like meditation and survivor right. guilt and nutrition. And it's all it's so great. I'm really excited about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, just getting uh, the more, more descriptive language about what is involved there. Mm-hmm. And Suzanne's lying away, like, I can't go. We'll talk about that. It's all the people that have their own survivor guilt that they can't come. Mm-hmm. But we, it's such a challenge to uh, mix it up between uh, NCAA finals or NBA finals, whatever the finals are. And then it's... Okay. It's, it's, None of those are happening in April. Okay. <laughs> no. The, it's the final four. I think four. the World Series is the happening. The final four is in early April. Right. So it was... Mid-April of March Madness. Well, then it's so March Madness, it, and then it's spring break, and then it's finals, and then it's yeah, graduation. Yeah. There's and no then it's good Easter, time. And then it's Passover. <laughs> and then and it's then Flag day. day. Oh, my God, Flag yeah. Day. And Grandparents if you Day. you ever my Flag Day plans any year, <laughs> things will go down. It's so not going to be good. It's rough. It's rough. But that last weekend in April is not any of those days, except it is a thing that Suzanne here can't come to. But <laughs> We're just going to be the whole time. Yeah, we will. <laughs> we'll keep making snide comments. So let's bring her out live here in studio. Suzanne Kane joining us here. No Sorry. relation. No relation no to Kenny Kane. Unfortunately, no relation. It's okay. She's Jewish and you're Jewish. But well, we're going to debate that. You're Jewish. Yes, exactly. Name, so. <laughs> All right. She was diagnosed with small cell neuroendocrine carcinoma of the cervix at age 36, four months before her wedding. Not that it's a good time for it to happen. Full hysterectomy along with chemo radiation. Thought she managed to save some eggs beforehand. A bald bride made it through her wedding two years later. She and her husband are now expecting a baby through surrogacy this May. She blogs at weddingtocancer.blogspot.com and will be a future author. She'll talk about her pending book coming up. Joining us live here in studio, please welcome Suzanne Kane. Hello. Hello. I just, I just want to make one correction. You're not Jewish, I know. <laughs> that, no, I'm half. But uh, the, that blog that you brought up, that's my blog that I was going through treatments and I did finish that because I wanted it to end with my first clear scan. Oh. So my new blog is wakingupondeathrow.blogspot.com. Let me digest that for a second there. <laughs> there is a story behind well, it. Well, I saw that it was the Huffington Post too, wasn't it? Did you write a piece? No, that was that was my other friend. Oh, your other friend. Yes. Okay. But, okay. The, but there is a story behind the waking up on death row. Um, before I started the new blog, I was at a show with my mom, and of course the name escapes me because that chemo brain never goes away, but uh, it was with Tom Hanks. It was just a couple of months ago. It was like the last year Tom Hanks was in a show on Broadway. Yes. And in it's you know about the true story about the news guy and the sports guy, whatever. But anyway, he's diagnosed with cancer, and he makes this speech and says, being told you have cancer is a lot like waking up on death row. You're always wondering when it's going to kill you. And, you know, it really sunk in because no matter how long, as far as for me, no matter how long it's been since, you know, I've been diagnosed and clear, I still think that someday it's going to come back. So it really hit home. So I started the new blog about how it feels after you've been through cancer and you're just living life, but you can't completely get away from it. You know? Right. Well, you're still you're still only what two years out or so. Yeah, about two and a half years. I'm 18 years out. It doesn't really go away. It just gets number, and then right. every time FedEx screws up, it just makes it even duller. <laughs> yeah. Once the regular life problems get in the way, and right, you, you right. know, you forget that you know it it it's always there. It's that fear of recurrence, but you know, you just have to learn to to manage it. It just becomes a part of who you are. Right. That's, we 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 
jokingly refer to that as the art of survivorship. Right. Well, that's why, you know, you make the big decisions in life. Like my husband and I finally decided to use our embryos and get someone else pregnant. You know, we say the doctor knocked her up. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. The doctor knocked her up with our baby, so she's expecting in May. And I'll give a shout-out to Lindsay. She's amazing. She lives in Minnesota, and it is absolutely freezing out there. And her kids actually had school canceled today because it was like negative 60. Meanwhile, we were on a call with people in Austin today who had schools canceled with an eighth of an inch of snow on the ground. An eighth of an inch of snow. They closed schools in Austin. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's start at the beginning. So you were in your mid thirties, life was going, you were, you know, just getting along famously with the universe and then what happens? And so I was at my doctor's appointment and you know, normally I would go for a pap and everything once a year and then I was diagnosed with HPV. So they wanted me to come in every six months for a pap. And so I did. I went in, you know, every six months, and I just had mild dysplasia, which is just abnormal cells. And the doctor did a colposcopy and a biopsy, and he said, you know, everything's fine. Went in six months later, everything was still the same. Went in six months after that, did another biopsy. He said, you know what, let's just do a leap, which is where they they put you under and they scrape out a layer of cells just to get rid of the new cells and let healthy cells grow in. Right. So April 1st, I remember... April 1st of 2011, he did the leap, expected everything to be perfectly fine, and I went back in on April 14th, and he, the words he used were, there was some cancer there. Like, well, like, that's a very nice yeah, way of putting there it. There was some cancer there. By the way. Uh, right. Uh, okay. And, of course, he said, just a bump in the road, no worries. And my first thought was, is my hair going to fall out? Right. You know, because I was getting married in four months. I right. didn't care. It wasn't It wasn't an issue. He was like, oh, no, no, no. It's cervical cancer. It's easy. Easy cancer. Oh, God. We yeah. love, we love, yeah. There yeah. are no good cancers. Now, right. keep in mind, I don't know if you knew this, but I had thyroid cancer when I was 21. Oh, I didn't know that. So this is number two. That was easy. Okay. That was, they took out three quarters of my thyroid and I was done. And I'm on Synthroid and whatever, but. Yay, Synthroid. Yeah. So this one was a little bit different than that. You know, I went, he told me it was caused by HPV, whatever, and I'll be fine. After a couple of oncologists and a few more tests, they said, hey, by the way, you have this really rare form of cervical cancer called small cell neuroendocrine carcinoma of the cervix, and don't Google it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, um, okay. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, seriously, don't Google it, because, you know, there's really not a lot of information. It's very rare. Only 3% of all cervical cancer that's diagnosed each year, you know, 12,000 cases, only about 3% are this small cell. So we don't really know a lot, so just don't Google it. So in the meantime... So well, you Googled it, and then what happened? I didn't. Oh, no? I actually listened. I couldn't believe it. But, of course, unbeknownst to me, my mom and my fiancé at the time did Google it. Right. Realized that the chances of me dying were like 85%. Yeah. You know, in the next five years. But nobody told me. So there I was, going along my business. Ignorance is bliss. Yep, having my eggs frozen, not realizing that I really should be in chemo at that moment. But right. I was like, ah, no rush, no worries, I'm getting married. So, you know, had my eggs harvested, went in for surgery, still was trying to push off chemo because, you know, I didn't know. Right. You know, so months and months go down. They tell me, okay, you start at 1B, you're actually stage 2B. You know, don't don't put off chemo. Right. And I'm like, but I want to have my bridal shower, you know. I right. Wanna, so that, Wait, let's take a step back, though. You you froze your eggs. Yes. That is a rare thing. Mm-hmm. So how did that actually happen? Were you proactive? Was someone made you aware of it? Because it, it's such a... You know, I have, to, I have to thank 
my original gynecologist for that, even though he's since disappeared off the face of the earth. You know, I'll be with you every step of the way, and then he washed his hands of me. Right. But he That's quality service. Exactly. He was the one who originally said, you know, you, you're getting married, you might want to do this. So we did, and believe it or not, for a 36-year-old, I got 16 eggs, which was huge. You know, they were, wow. they were like, that's what we get from 21-year-olds. You're like a machine. Yeah. You know, I was always very, very fertile. So <laughs> I have two kids from my first marriage, right. and it was like that. But um, we ended up freezing 12 embryos because, you know, four of them didn't make, didn't make it. But we had six boys and six girls. Okay. And, you know, because they tested them. And, and you didn't want to be a dugger. No, I did not. <laughs> but, you know, interesting story. We put in two embryos, and one of them split, and we ended up with triplets. What? Yeah, and, you know, nine weeks in, almost nine weeks in, two of them didn't make it. Okay. So my husband breathed a sigh of relief, and, you know, it was sad, but... They call that self-select out, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. because we were wondering how we were going to have three girls. Right. we knew they were girls, yeah. and that was... Anyway, but, so, yeah, we we froze the embryos, and they just sat there, you know being frozen until we were But meanwhile, ready. you're like Alice in Wonderland waiting for these, you know, trying to live your life right. to the quality you were told you could have. Right. When, in fact, what happens? Well, in fact, then, you know, as we go along with all the stuff, oh, by the way, you will not be able to have just a bigger leap. You're going to have to have a trachelectomy, which is where they take, they just basically cut your cervix out and connect the vagina right to the uterus. And maybe I'd still be able to have babies. But, you know, a little more testing and no, you, that not with small cell. You need a full hysterectomy and you need your ovaries removed. And I'm like, well, okay. So, yeah, you're going to go into menopause immediately at 36. And not only that, but you'll need chemo and radiation. And I'm looking at the doctor like, can you cut me some slack here? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, we don't really know what to do with this cancer because it's technically it's cervical cancer, but it's really lung cancer in the cervix. Where, you know, it's both. Right. So they, they have to hit it with all. And they basically said, we hit it with as many guns as we can and hope something will stick. So in the process, I finally, after I had my hysterectomy and finished my treatments, I was online on my, you know, support group page for this group. And I finally saw a video made with, like, all the facts of this cancer. Right. That's when I found out that it's 85% death rate. And that the chances of it coming back and killing me in five years is still 80%, 80 to 85%. And then I saw that it's not actually caused by HPV. Right. And right then I said, wait a second. Even though you were HPV positive. I was HPV positive. So, of course, you know, my gynecologist said it was. But I saw this and I'm going, that, that can't be real. So I started asking questions. I went to my doctor at Sloan Kettering and I asked him and he said, there is no known link between this type of cervical cancer and HPV. But and is it really lung cancer of the cervix then? Um, no, it's it's not called that because they, I mean, it's really, it's a cervical cancer. It starts in the cervix. Right. So it's technically a cervical cancer. It's just small cell neuroendocrine, which is generally in the lung, the lung. which is why yeah. this one, if it spreads, goes to your lung, goes to your brain. Yeah. You know, liver, whatever. But, you know, I asked him about the about that and he said there's no known link. He said everybody thinks that, HPV causes all cervical cancers, but it's not true. There are rare ones that are not caused by HPV. Right. And, you know, it's misinformation. So in the meantime, a doctor at MD Anderson is running our research for this group. He's amazing. Dr. Fromovitz, hello. And uh, we've also asked him, and he said there, there really isn't. He said there is a group of people who have had HPV. He said basically because all adults have HPV at one point in their lives. Right. 
Well, it's just like a regular transferable yeah, virus. Exactly. Right. And he said, so, you know, there are those, but he said if you test the um if you test the cells, he said that there's not enough of a link. You know, he said maybe eighty percent of the people have HPV and that just does not qualify. So my group of, of women, our small cell group, rare but there, hello ladies. Uh, they actually did. We did our own test just recently, and I think it was somewhere along the lines of 60 or 70 women answered the question if they had ever been diagnosed with HPV, and out of 60 or 70 women, only 20 of the women actually had heard the words HPV. The other had never been told they had HPV, never been diagnosed with it. Some of them were specifically told, no, you do not have HPV. And out of the 20 who did, half of them had mixed cells. So they had not only the small cell, but they also had squamous cell, which is regular. Right. Or adeno or whatever the other one. So there is no known link between this one and HPV. All right. So you're bald at your wedding. Yes. Against all your better wishes mm-hmm. and goals and dreams and yes. hopes. And how did you deal with that emotionally in your family and your, your fiancé? Uh, it was really hard because, you know, luckily during treatments, my kids got to stay at their dad's house, which is only five minutes away. So if I, if I was feeling well enough, they could come over and see me, but I was so sick. I didn't know if I was going to make it. I was in the hospital a week before my wedding. I, it was uh, the hurricane, hurricane Irene. That was the hurricane 2011, right? Yeah, the one that was was supposed to be horrible, but wasn't that horrible. Right, exactly. Except everyone's power went out. Yeah. Yeah. But I was in the hospital. I was low white blood cells and, you know, couldn't keep anything down, couldn't keep anything in, you know, always it was coming out. And, uh, you know, so I didn't even know if I'd make it. I just, was literally with my when I got out of the hospital, I had my head on my mom's table. We were trying to make place cards for the wedding, and I said, "I'm just not. I'm not going to make it." And my mom said, "You are going to make it. I'll get you there." And she told me to stop taking the antibiotic they gave me from the hospital because they couldn't find anything wrong. They just gave it to me preventatively. Right. And the next day, I was able to lift my head up, and I stopped running to the bathroom. And by the time I got to the wedding, I was I was not feeling great, and I was highly drugged. But I had my wig, and I got down the aisle. Luckily, um, I had some enhancements up top, so my dress didn't fall off because right. <laughs> it was really thin. And um, I made it, but my, my uh, honeymoon was spent in chemo. We had to postpone our honeymoon till a year later. Okay. But, yeah, yeah, it sucked, but what are you going to do? I made it. We got there. But this man, mm-hmm. your new husband, yes. stuck by you this whole time. He did. You met him how many months before your diagnosis? Oh, I met him in 2006. Oh, so he's been here a very long time. Well, I met him in 2006. We didn't really start dating until, well, that's a whole other story. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Yes, we did start dating in 2006, a few months later. But anyway, but we didn't get engaged until 2010. But kudos to him. Yeah, he's great. For being a caregiver. Hi, Jimmy. How's this uh, <laughs> been on him? Is, has he talked to other caregivers? Is he part of any support groups? You know or what? He's not. He's just he, a tough cookie. He he's not actually. He he you know he will pretend. He's he's in that zone of I don't need to talk to anybody about my feelings. Okay. You know he he's fine. He and my mom talk, so okay. at least I have that. But right. he does not want to be any part of any kind of support caregiver group. But he was great. I mean, he really, he took me to radiation. He took me to chemo. He took care of me. He changed my catheter bag after my surgery. Now, that's love. That's love. We weren't (laughs) even married yet, and he's changing my catheter bag. And he would help me put my wig on. Right. You know, he was, he was great. He put me to bed every night. Right. He helped me up the stairs. And 
So this is a young adult themed show about mm-hmm. how it's unique to be to have cancer not at 80 years old right. and why that's important for people to understand. What was your experience then in terms of meeting peers? How did you find this small cell group and what what has that meant to you and have you been involved in any advocacy or, or more community building or events and whatnot? Uh, I found them because I did not Google, but I went on Facebook and I looked up neuroendocrine or small cell neuroendocrine and I found the rare but their group which is the public page so anybody supporters whatever can be on it and there is also a sisters only page so we've been added I've been added to that and it's been great because no one knows what you're going through except the other people who are going through it as well and so you know my friends on that group it's very difficult because every day we see people who are not going to make it and, you know, there was a really rough, really rough time in 2011 between Thanksgiving and, Dece- and Christmas. We lost six people. Wow. And, you know, my mom kept saying, you have to get off the group. You know, it's not good for your psyche. And I just couldn't because I've made friends. I've right. made friends with these people. And, you know, I've met some of them. And then you just see them go through everything. And it's, it's horrible because you're wondering why you're doing so well or why I'm doing so well. Right. And these people started in, you know, stage one. And they're not going to make it. Right. So you have those. Is, is this, so this is all completely viral slash non-viral. Is there any like, you know, I'll just metaphorically like a BRCA gene related to this at not, all? Not that they know of. That's why they're trying to do the research. They're um, starting a tumor registry, the MD Anderson group. Okay. They're starting a tumor registry. So they're trying to collect all the data because there aren't enough of us in one group to do a clinical trial or anything. So they're trying to get the groups from all over the country, world, whatever, and get everybody's information so they can see what their treatment plan was, how they did, what their cells looked like, what their tumors looked like, what, you know, why. Right. Because there's no rhyme or reason. There's nothing that we can find that connects us. All right. So, yeah, we have a few minutes left uh, before we have to bring out uh, Tamika and Chandra. I wanted to have you basically talk about... um, how how valuable is social media with regard to this this group? Because we always talk about breast cancer has something called BCSM, the breast cancer show, social media hashtag on Twitter. Do you have like tweet ups? Do you guys meet physically, or is it all basically on 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 well, yes, Facebook? People um people do meet up on their own, but a lot of people go to the oh my god. I've never been able to go, as I've explained. Oh, we were going to tease you about that. Yeah, because my baby's due May 18th, and I really don't think I should be leaving you know, going anywhere a couple of weeks before, just in case she's early. But um, I've never been able to go, but a lot of the women meet up. But I've met them, you know, just, I just happened to be in Disneyland when one of them was in Disneyland. Nice. And, you know, we saw on Facebook and we met there. Um, I've met, I met one in New Hampshire. I mean, we, we go different places. And if you want to meet up, people meet up in the areas. So is it, are you consider yourself separate from the cervical cancer world because of the, biological disparity or is it all like we're all in in it to win it i I definitely feel like the cervical cancer world is a part it started in our cervix you know it's it's cervical cancer that's what it's called so right i would really love to be a part of the whole cervical cancer and let everyone get the real information out there that just because you've never heard the words hpv does not mean you can't have cervical cancer it's really misleading what the media does because you think that 100% 100% preventable. You know, cervical cancer is 100% preventable, 100% caused by HPV, and these women are going around not realizing that that's not true. You know, they can still get it. Right, and we're going to talk about that too because you could still get Gardasil and mm-hmm. still get 
Correct. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing's preventable. Right. Actually, I take that back. The only thing that's preventable is parenthood. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's true. That's the only thing that's truly preventable is parenthood. Right. Yeah. Because you could say, that, you know, if you don't drive, you don't get into a car accident, right. someone can hit you. That's true. Right. Yeah. And no one's going to accidentally fall into your vagina and impregnate you. That's true. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The only thing preventable is, uh, yeah, parenthood. Except that my husband could have been sleeping when we, you know, did the parenthood thing because the, right. doc- the doctor did it. All right, so final thoughts on parenting mm-hmm. through this disease. How did you talk to your children? Uh, they were, at that point, 8 and 10, and I sat them down. My husband and I sat them down and said, you know, family meeting, we need to talk. And, um, you know, I'm sick, but the doctor has found a way to make it better, we said. And he said that, you know, we're, they're, I'm going to have an operation, and, but they're going to give me medicine, and the medicine might make my hair fall out. And my older one looked up and said, you have cancer? And, of course, I didn't know what to say because how does my 10-year-old know about that? And I said, how do you know that? He said, because all the TV shows with the commercials, they all have, they're all bald with the, the commercials for cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, yes, I have cancer. And, of course, my husband, who wasn't my husband yet, jumped in and he said, mom's not going to die if that's what you're worried about. And I could have smacked him because I didn't know if I was going to die or not. And I didn't want my kids to be... I mean, I know that's horrible, but I didn't want them to think that my husband lied to them if I did. You know, I didn't want that whole, you know, mom's not going to die. Oh, wait, mom died. You told me she wasn't going to. But I just wanted to be realistic, but to, you know, the 8- and 10-year-old level. Did you, like, there were books, like Mommy Has Cancer. You know what? They were were a little on the young side for them. I got one of the books about chemo and the shark and the shark eats the the cancer, and it it was better for me to just talk to them and answer their questions than it was for me to read the books because of their age. Um, But they did not, I did not allow them to see me when I was sick. Right. You know, they stayed with their dad, which was really good. They stayed with their dad, and when I was feeling okay, they would come over, they'd visit, and when I'd give their dad a look, he would take them out because I was not <laughs> I was not feeling okay. All right. Well, you're going to stick around. We've yeah. been talking to Suzanne Kane, a cervical cancer survivor who blogs at wakingupondeathrow.blogspot.com. Suzanne, thank you for joining us. Thank you. You're sticking around. Let's get to the news here, folks. All right, Kenny, ready? Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. I've never been more ready in my life, Matthew. <laughs> Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Get some stupid cancer meetups happening in Evanston, Wyoming, Rochelle Park, New Jersey, San Diego, California, Gainesville, Florida, Northbrook, Illinois, and Denver, Colorado. Okay, Vegas time, people. Wink, wink, Suzanne. <laughs> Registration for the 7th Annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults is open for business. We've got almost 100 people signed up so far. Come out to the largest young adult cancer conference in the world and join 500 of your fellow young adult patients, survivors, and caregivers for an epic three-and-a-half-day event that will change your life forever. Visit omg2014.org to learn more. And don't forget about the OMG Players Club, which is your path to a $600 travel scholarship just by fundraising for stupid cancer all right it's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear we've got all new products and styles to choose from polar vortex be damned you'll stay nice and warm in a stupid cancer hoodie surf on over to stupidcancerstore.org and be proud wear stupid cancer and that that is is your stupid Stupid cancer Cancer news okay 
We're going to bring in our main guest here as we continue our show on stupid cervical cancer tonight on the Stupid Cancer Show. Chandra Hall is the regional director of the Southwest U.S. National Cervical Cancer Coalition, NCCC. And after failing to become pregnant after nearly a year of trying, she was diagnosed with stage 1B squamous cell carcinoma of the cervix at the tender age of 28. And returning champion to the Stupid Cancer Show, my friend and yours, Ms. Tamika Felder-Campbell. I think this is her first time here married. Uh, award-winning television producer and correspondent after diagnosis of advanced cervical cancer in 2001. That was a long time ago. At the age of 25, she used her experience to help educate other women about ways to prevent it. The founder of Tamika and Friends and the new Survivor.org. She is dedicated to cervical cancer awareness through a network of survivors and their friends. She's amazing. She's bold. She's brash. She makes a difference. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Chandra Hall and Tamika Felder. Ladies. All righty. It is National Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, and we're uh, talking trash about this horrible disease tonight. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. You bet. Thank Thanks you for, for having, having us. us. Yep. So I want to just get started briefly for our listeners. We like to have everyone always, you know, recount their story, how this whole hot mess got started. And um, our first guest, uh, Suzanne, was uh, in her uh, 30s, right, mm-hmm. and diagnosed uh, four months before her wedding. <laughs> which is never a good yep. time for that to happen. And she's going through surrogacy now to have her third child. And it's just an amazing success story of what's possible. But why don't we start with Sandra, Chandra, sorry, um, to go over, you know, 28 is, you know, not that there's a good time to get it, but what was going on with your life back then? Well, it, we had, my husband and I dated for several years and got married and, we decided after a few years, probably about three years we'd been married, we decided we wanted to start a family of our own. We're at 30, was getting close, and we knew from a lot of our friends that you don't necessarily get pregnant right away when you start trying. And so we decided to try and start a family and went to the doctor. doctor told us, you know, if after a year, if you're not successful, come on back and we'll take a look. So we started it when I was about 27. And then I turned 28, and a year came and went, and went back into the doctor, and he said, okay, let's do an exam. I get up on the table, and, of course, his face just said it all, and he's like, oh, boy. So fast forward, I had a couple procedures. I didn't get what we call clear margin, so he saw the affected area, tried to take it out. When he took it out, just um, through a leap, he didn't get clear margins, and so they went back again and did a cold cone, and they still didn't get clear margins, so... That's when the poor guy had to give me the unfortunate news that it was invasive cancer and that I had to have a hysterectomy and I had to have one too sweet. So he tried to do the best that he could. I think he knew how devastating it was going to be just being a fairly newly married couple and then trying to start a family and then all of a sudden be faced with this that not only are we not pregnant, but we're probably we're never going to get pregnant. So went in, had a hysterectomy. I got to keep my ovaries because it was such an early stage. And I'm very thankful for that. They didn't want to put me into early menopause if they didn't have to. So they, although they relocated my ovaries, I did not have to have radiation or chemo. It's like he said, I won the cancer lottery. (laughs) I was able to have treatment by surgery and surgery alone. There are many women that are diagnosed with my same stage and type today. Some do wind up having prescribed chemo and radiation, but fortunately at that time I did not have to go through that, and here we are almost 15 years later, so I'm I'm very, very lucky girl indeed. 
All right, if you have to, I, I have a naive male question. How do you have a hysterectomy without taking out ovaries, and what does relocating them actually mean? <laughs> okay, so they what they did is they, re, they moved them up out of the field of where prospective radiation would be had I had an occurrence or had they not actually gotten all the cancer. They're pretty low set. I mean, I was, I'm ashamed to admit, I was pretty, pretty naive about the female reproductive system myself until all of this had happened. So when they did my HIST, they took out my uterus, they took up, of course, my cervix, they took out the upper third of the vagina, and then they reconstructed the lower portion of my vagina so that um, I could still have normal functioning uh, parts. And so they took out everything except for those ovaries because they wanted me to still, my body still to produce the normal hormones and not put me through premature menopause. And now I'm approaching my mid-40s, and they're kind of starting to shut down on their own. So they've lasted me this good 15 years. So, Like a fine-tuned machine, I suppose. Well, I'd like to think so. Right. <laughs> All right, so let's get to Tamika, who, just as, as a matter of fact, was one of the very first young adult cancer survivors I'd ever met in, I think it was 03 or 04. And I give her full mm-hmm. credit for helping yeah. to cultivate me to become an activist for our, our cause. And uh, kudos oh, on our... Oh, you're so sweet. It's, no, all it's all Tamika's fault. Yeah, it's, your, it's all your fault that I'm who I am today. <laughs> but to our 10-year anniversary... Oh, I to every time I heard that. Yes, exactly. I know, right? <laughs> and uh, so you were... I've heard your story a thousand times. I wanted to just let our, our crowd know again. Um, I, I consider you you know, kind of a poster child for the, for the young adult movement in the cervical cancer space. Because you, you well, like, you, I, like I've never met anyone that actually started a charity before, and like, what does that mean? And again, you're kind of the reason I did this. Well, let, let, let me let me address that first. Um, when I started, I didn't want to start a charity. I was one of those people. I actually didn't want to think about cancer. I wanted to forget about it and wanted to go back to my life, but I just couldn't because there was a void that was there. Um, Christine Bays was the only other young adult cervical cancer survivor I knew, and I found out about her through Archie Blyer. Yes, you know, Dr. Blyer, yes. Um, Dr. Archie Blyer, and I was just very frustrated at the lack of information, and, you know, I'm so excited you had three cervical cancer survivors on tonight talking about this um, because we are making progress. More and more people are speaking out about this horrible disease. So I'm thankful for that. And thank you guys for letting us have this arena. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I was diagnosed when I was 25, and you're right, there's no age that's a perfect time to get it. I was single, didn't have any children, and, you know, the truth is I didn't have a pap test for three years. You know, I was a journalist, broadcaster, didn't have a job that offered health insurance. And then when I finally got one, it was like right at the right time because I had a lump under my arm. And because of that, I went to the emergency room. I had a five-speed driving around in D.C. traffic, horrible, you know, agonizing pain. The doctor asked me a simple question, when was your last physical? And that's when I had to think about it for a while. And he said, well, you know, you should go. I can recommend a great doctor. Went to a doctor. You know, I thought she'd say, you're overweight, lose weight, you know, and that's all I would hear. Of course, not me. My zodiac sign is a cancer, so I'm a cancer who ended up with cancer. Go figure. Right. So um, I I was devastated by this. You know, 
I was at the top of my game, really like inside the Washington Beltway. I was working, you know, on political shows and it was wonderful. I was following around to all the different elections, you know, the caucuses and just really enjoying my life. Like I said, there's no perfect time, but for me, it was right when I felt like everything was coming together. Um, So for about Three years, I tried to go back to my normal life because I had a radical hysterectomy followed by chemotherapy and radiation, and I wanted to forget about it. It was awful for me. You know, in my group of friends and colleagues, I became that girl where everybody started to have hairline or, you know, started treating me different. And it was just something that I did not like. Um, but in 2003, in September, I went to Austin for the president's cancer panel for the young adult meeting. And it was the first time I was ever around young adults, you know, and it changed my life. And it really, like, sprung me into action, and I knew I wanted to do something. And out of that, Tamika and Friends was born because my close friends kept asking, you know, what can we do? We never really heard about cervical cancer. And at the time, none of us knew about HPV. My doctor didn't even mention it to me. I found out about it through research. Um, So we just decided to start talking about it. And the reality is nobody wants to talk about their vagina. Okay, but my life is about service. I've been raised by parents who have always taught me to give back, and so that's what I do. All right, so let's let's hop over back to Chandra for a second. Can you talk to us about the uh, National Cervical Cancer Coalition? Uh, when was it formed? How old is it? What does it mainly uh, do? What are, what's its mission? Well, the NCCC, I, when I got involved was 2007. I Much to Tamika's point, when I became first diagnosed, Komen was really coming on to the scene. And so I had friends that were involved with Komen, and that was everything was getting pinkwashed. And I really felt displaced. I felt like, okay, I don't have... Uh, I don't have breast cancer. I have a gynecologic cancer. I didn't know anybody else that had had a gynecologic cancer. Again, I was, you know, 28, and so I really felt displaced, and I I felt like the redheaded stepchild. So shortly, uh, you know, a couple of years of healing, and I'm trying to find my way through this and kind of trying to connect with other cancer survivors in general just to kind of, you know, not commiserate, but just make connections. And then I found out about the NCCC, and that was they were founded in 1996 as a grassroots nonprofit organization, um, originally founded by Alan Kay and his first wife Randy, who has since passed. And it's an uh, organization that's dedicated to serving women with who are at risk or have cervical cancer and or HPV disease. And then in 2011, the NCCC merged with the American Sexual Health Association, and it's been such a perfect fit. Um, ASHA has been around for 100 years. They're celebrating their 100-year anniversary this year. And so um, it's because... Not all, you know, to Suzanne's point, not all um, cancers are, uh, cervical cancers are HPV driven, but typically they are. And so that's why they decided to bring it under ASHA's umbrella. And they really, really helped us thrive and grow and really serve even more uh, ladies out there that are hurting or need information. So it's been a, it's been a really great fit. So I, now I'm thinking about sexual health in 1914, and I'm not happy. <laughs> Well, they, you know, ASHA was founded by Catherine Hepburn's father, who was a physician, as you probably know, and several other 
social elite there in that area of New England, and um, it was really all about STDs and wartime and venereal disease and trying to keep the soldiers um, clean and safe, and then out of that it just grew and grew and grew and grew, and so now it encompasses all sorts of illnesses and disease types, and it's just an amazing clearinghouse and resource for people to use when they have any questions. And it's about, and I love the name, it's sexual health. It's not about disease. It's about health. It's about health and awareness, and that is really the turning point and then the direction that they're headed for the future. So it's a, a great fit. All right. So let's go back to Tamika then because you, you've launched something recently called Survivor, and it's spelled C-E-R-V, like cervix, survivor.org. And, oh, I was, and I'm so excited about it. And I, I was blown away. You, know, <laughs> you I'm, be. Yeah, you should, I'm a brand guy, and I like very rarely are there Thank really you. great ideas. And it was just a brilliant play on words, and I'm happy to open up the floor to tell us tell, tell us what it's all about and how people can learn about it and contribute to it, and, and there's a film associated with it, I think, correct? Yeah, there's, a, there's a, a web show that's associated with it, and hopefully soon there'll be a film and all kind of, there, there's lots of stuff we're rolling out for it, but um, so basically what Survivor is, it's merging um, really Tamika and Friends into what I've really wanted to do. You know, um, when I started sharing stories on the Tamika and Friends website, you couldn't share your story unless you were willing to share your name and your face because there was a stigma that was linked to cervical cancer, and I hate it. You know, it, it's almost like people who don't want to talk about HPV or want to disassociate from it are saying, well, you slutty girls are out here. You know, you got that slutty girl cancer. And it's a, it's a problem that we always talk about. So I really wanted to bring women together so they would, you know, talk about their stories because when they start talking about their stories, that's how we break down the walls that the stigma is. And so Survivor really does that. It's creating survivors who are advocates for this disease, who really want to go out there and be champions for it. I get a lot of emails from people who they say, you know, I want to go out and I want to share my story, but I don't know how. And I want to have this event, but I don't know how. And, you know, I have a full-time job, so this is a volunteer effort for me. So I thought, why not create something where I can bring women together and have boot camps and really teach them, you know, how to be these top-notch advocates. And I kind of pick women who, you know, like, for example, our group in New York, it was a perfect mix. We just did this this past weekend of women who had been sharing their story, but they needed a little fine-tuning. And there were a few women who really just wanted to start sharing their story, so they were just at the beginning stages. So, and it was beautiful. We graduated. They were our first inaugural class of our Survivor School because Survivor is two parts. There's a school, and there's the web show. So for people who can't make it to a Survivor school training, they get to experience things through our webisodes. But um, it, it really is just a vehicle for women to feel powerful and just go out there and spread this awareness message and prevent cervical cancer. So let's let's dive into that a little a little deeply. I, I hate the word prevention. I, I've actually been in, I'm been invited to a panel on cancer prevention in uh, Baltimore in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I was born with my brain cancer. I couldn't prevent it. And, you know, it's like this magic word that people tend to use, and the young adult movement has kind of debunked it and made it into a different semantic. And I think it's really important that we're owning, you know, the definitions that mean what they should mean to us. But in terms of the cervical cancer world, it's possible to get cervical cancer with HPV, without HPV, 
with and without HPV, whether you have the Gardasil shot or not. What what are the what what's the real data that people can take away? That is there anything truly digestible? No, well, well, let me talk about that. Um, so with cervical cancer, it actually is preventable because it's the only cancer that we know the cause, we have the tools, and we can prevent it with vaccines. And you know, I know there's a lot of people who say, well, we shouldn't say it's 100% preventable. And you know what? They're actually right because there is one percent those rare cancers that we don't have for it. You know, Suzanne was absolutely right that the current screening process that we have will not pick up this rare cancer, unfortunately. And I don't know if we'll ever have a screening tool that will. Hopefully we will, but we don't. So, but in the other cancers, the 99%, we can potentially prevent these cancers. So in terms of the so let's then talk about Gardasil, you know, uh how effective is it truly 100% with Gardasil or no? What's what's the myth or well, myth and facts? If you look at some place like Australia who's been doing this for a while, the results that they're getting back is phenomenal. It really is. And, you know, there are people like Katie Couric and Chandra can come in and talk about this as well, who, you know, do shows for ratings and other things, but she had to retract her story. They had people on from the CDC and other places who have spoken about this, and it's just, it causes more harm than it should. You know, um, well, and, and to, that, I'm sorry, go ahead, Tamika. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, um, you know, people, Tamika and I get asked all day, every day about the vaccine and if it's safe and what's going on with it and should they, shouldn't they. Well, you know, the the CDC did publish, they have shown that HPV vaccine is very effective and has helped to lower HPV infection rates in teen girls by half. And other studies have shown that genital warts, the ones that are caused by HPV infections, have also decreased in teens since the vaccine came out. And more than 57 million doses have been distributed in the U.S. in the seven years since it was recommended and approved by the FDA. And studies continue to show that the vaccines are safe. Now, the vaccines, whether it's the one from Gardasil or whether it's Cervarex, they are under continuous scrutiny and monitoring by the FDA and by the CDC. So um, it's not just like a one and done. It's not like, well, you know, for the last five years, everything was right. fine, and you now we're just going to let our guard down. It's, it's yeah, absolutely. You, you still need screening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Screening, screening when you know recommended by your physician, and of course we always advocate for annual pap tests, even though, you know, the national guidelines it seems like right. they change, and once everybody gets the change down, then they change them again, and so. And, but, and yeah. another, another, sorry, Chandra, another important thing too. I know on social media a lot of stuff gets passed around, but it's really important to check the sources of these articles. Oh, the first yeah. thing I always do is check to see where a story is coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you need to make sure whatever you're looking at is from a credible source. Right. And, you know, Chandra and I have conversations all the time. You know, we don't have any children. I have a stepdaughter, but we, because of this cancer, we can't, you know, give birth to a child. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to tell a parent what to do with their child. I don't mm-hmm. like to do that. And Chandra and I have talked about this. But what we do do, we make sure that we give them, you know, information and they can go and do the research and talk to their physician on their own. 
Mika. And I wanted to point this out, too, that I was at the AACR Cancer Minorities and Health Disparities Conference in December, and that's when the Katie Couric show came out. And all the back, you know, all this drama, my phone started blowing up and my uh, Facebook instant messenger started blowing up about, oh, Chandra, you know, they had this show and did you see it? And they're saying that there's this huge controversy. So I went right to the researchers there at the American Association for Cancer Research. I had I had a panel of researchers right in front of me and I said, look, this is what happened today. I'd like your feedback. And Dr. Victoria Seawalt from Duke University said, Chandra, that's the point. There is no controversy about this. She said the data is there and the researchers across the board are in agreement that the vaccines do much more good than harm. And I thought that was very telling because, you know, a lot of times, sometimes researchers don't necessarily agree on anything. And she said that... She has been very pleased with the information and the data that she has seen, again, over the last seven years since this has been on the market. Let me uh, chime in here for a second. Uh, one of the things that Suzanne said, which was interesting during her segment, was that she refused to go to Dr. Google. Um, unfortunately, her family did, but she didn't go to Dr. Google. But you're absolutely right about checking sources. I know and she had a question to ask you. Um, Tamika, I'm just going to go back. Hi, it's Suzanne. How are you? Hi, I'm Hi. good. How are you? Good. Okay. And congratulations on the baby. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so my question here is that you did, you did, you know, admit, not admit, but you did, you know, go with the point that not 100% of cervical cancers are caused by HPV. And my group is definitely not right. against, we're not against the HPV vaccine. We actually think that it's it's well, necessary. It but, does seem like it sometimes. No, no, in no. All no, not at all. We are totally for it, but we do have a few of our members who have had the HPV vaccine have still gotten the cervical cancer. But the one thing I want to make a point about is you said that you check your references and that people go to Google to get their information. But here's the thing. My uh our doctor at MD Anderson and my doctor at Sloan Kettering who have written papers about you know, small cell neuroendocrine carcinoma of the cervix, that it is not linked to HPV. Now, MD Anderson and Sloan Kettering are really good references, but the main thing that comes up... You're right. I'm very familiar with them. But the main thing that comes up if you Google cervical cancer is Tamika and friends, and when you go to your site in the question and answer, the one question says, must you have HPV to get cervical cancer? And your response is, yes, you absolutely 100% need to have a strain of HPV to get cervical cancer. The only thing that we've been asking you to do is to change your wording and say 99%. Because it's true, 99% of cervical cancer is caused by HPV. But that 1% And Suzanne, can I tell you something? And I hope it'll make you really happy. Are you ready for this? Yes. It's your birthday today because we are changing our site just for you guys. Thank you. <laughs> does that make you happy? It does. And, uh, you know, I really think it should make you happy. <laughs> Thanks. Well, there no. we go. No, I, no, I really think it's done. But, you know, that's, but that's a good thing. We can all just do what we need to do to put this information out there. That's exactly yep. what we're trying to do. We just want women to understand that just because they so don't have now, HPV. Now can I ask you a question? Absolutely. And hopefully you'll take this back to your group and the ones that are They're listening. They're all listening. I hope they hear this, and I hope they hear it loud and clear, because there are a lot of women in your group that I really do have respect for. And, you know, the cancer that you all carry really is a rare cancer, and mm-hmm. it's the most deadliest form, so right. I'm glad in that sense that it's rare. But I want you to understand that sometimes with your messaging, 
it makes us feel like the slutty girls who have the cancer that is caused by HPV. Tamika, I had I had HPV. No, I get it. I had HPV or have whatever had it. So you know, I'm not. I get that. I'm not saying it directly for you. I started this and I said to your group. Right. And I understand. I, I totally, I don't know who's been messaging you. I do know that I emailed you a while ago and never got a response after the I, second you time. You have. The one. Because right. You have. And let me, let me address that, too. I am too busy trying to save lives and make a difference to answer every single attack I get over something on a website that if you look, you never see me promote that website anymore. <laughs> I have been promoting Survivor.org, not the Tamika and Friends website. Okay. Yeah, I I know. And and I will say this, and I hope you hear me. It's very difficult when you're trying to do something to make a change and you are attacked. Well, I hope you you didn't feel like I personally attacked you because when I wrote my email to you, I I tried to be very nice and just explain the facts. And I don't know who. Well, I don't know if I would call it nice. I would call it forceful. Okay. And so um, know that I am changing it. Okay. And Thanks. you all should be very happy. We are. We, we just want to save have women. Conversation again. Okay. I'd like to shift gears now and go to the the. Uh, I believe there's still ongoing ridiculous controversies over why parents do not want to give their daughters Gardasil shots. Can we discuss that? Because um, you know it, it's always the fringe people that get the most attention and. Uh, my daughter's three. I would really do want to get her. You know, I, I don't know if it's, you can get if it makes sense at that age or whatever the age is. I'm going to learn about this, but I'm in favor of this, and and I don't understand why there even is still a conversation about that. Getting the shot makes you more promiscuous. Can we discuss that? You bet, um, Tamika. I'm, I'm going to step in here. I've got a great yeah. Uh, comment yeah, I about think this. I've talked enough for now. So go ahead, take it away. <laughs> Um, so you're right. There are a lot of ridiculous conversations and um, myths and ideologies out there, but you're going to find that with anything that's on the radar at any time. Um, I'm going to share a story with you and my own family. I have a family member that I tried to approach when the, her children were of the appropriate age to receive the HPV vaccines. And so um, she said to me, well, um, no. And categorically, no, because they are not going to have sex until they get married. And I said, well, it's not a sex issue. This is a health issue. And I think that's great that they're not going to have sex until they get married. And uh, But at the, the way society operates today, chances are whomever they do marry is going to bring that in with them into the marriage. So why would you want to wait until that window of opportunity for them to get this preventative measure has closed and then they're going to have to carry that with them for the rest of their lives. So fast forward to another member of my family. I have um, one of my nieces, actually. She shared with me, well, you know, I am with my boyfriend. We've only been with each other. We're getting married, and so I'm not going to get it. And she was a Ph.D. student, by the way. And I said, but, honey, don't you understand? Marriages break up. People die. You could be, you know, God forbid, be widowed. And if you want to start your life again, that window for that uh, age bracket that is appropriate for the vaccines will have closed by then, and you can't go back. And so guess what? She was only six months away from aging out from the vaccine. She was, she was turning, getting ready to turn 26. Boyfriend dumps her, and she calls me, and she says, Aunt Chandra, he broke up with me, and I just went down and got my first HPV shot. 
And now I'm happy to say she's happily married, and now they're getting their, they're going to have their very first baby right near my birthday. So I am thrilled that she took that information, and even though she was dead set against it to, beginning, to begin with, that I planted that seed and that she wound up getting it. But to go back to your point about the ridiculous conversations, people will use anything that they can grasp to kind of justify what they've already got made up in their mind. And so talking to other parents I have never had one parent come to me and say, oh, I got my child vaccinated, and then they immediately went out and had sex, or they thought that they could start having sex, or they told me they wanted to start having sex. Not to say that everybody reports back to me, you know, because obviously that's not the truth, but um, I have found that parents just tend to like to use different things to whatever suits their cause and whatever suits their, their predisposed idea of what they want to happen, so... So and this also now applies to boys too. So HPV is no longer just a girl's issue, and we have to have separate conversations with our sons now as well. Correct? Yep, you betcha. And uh, it's one of the brilliant things about the vaccines is that they found cross-efficacy. To tell you the truth, it was never in clinical trials to prevent um, infection in males, but as they started vaccinating. These females, they had found cross-efficacy that all these males were not getting certain strains for genital warts. And so then they did a trial on that. They found it was 99% effective, and then that's when the FDA said, okay, we're going to go ahead and approve it for use in males as well. And I'm excited to say that um, I just found out, I was at MD Anderson last week for their cervical cancer and HPV summit, and um, found out that Merck is actually in a phase three trial for a nine-valent HPV vaccine that is going to uh, uh, going to help protect against additional precancers caused by HPV types 31, 33, 45, 52, and 58. T, you may have already known that, but that was new to me. That was probably my biggest takeaway from that summit last week at MD Anderson. Tamika. Yeah. Did we lose her? <laughs> no, I think she's here. No, I'm here. Yeah, oh, no, okay. I just wanted you to you, you wanted to comment on that what Chandra just said. No, I mean I agree with everything she said. All right, so let's. But I wonder. I want to close. <laughs> That's easy. Yeah. Well, she, it, that was a very easy thing. I want to close and take the next five minutes to talk about what is actually happening um, in the scientific community and anything on Capitol Hill that is advancing your cause beyond typical advocacy and awareness. Chandra, you've been on recently. You want to talk about your work that you've been doing there? You bet. Um, I was on the Hill. I was on the Hill last year. Um, the American Association for Cancer Research has an annual report out every fall, and so um, I was part of their report out in 2012. And then in 2013, they asked me to come back. Well, in 2012. Um, they had got some time on the Hill with some senators, and I went, and that was before the sequestration had happened, and I was able to sit down with five different senators. There were a group of us. It wasn't just me alone, but there was a small group of about eight or nine of us, um, cl clinicians, researchers, and m myself and a couple of other survivors, and we got to sit down with them, and we said, look, you know, the impending sequestration just it cannot hit the NIH. And for funding, I mean, we are desperate. These researchers are desperate for funding. I was told by one of the researchers that if they got their funding cut, that it was going to set back cancer research by an, almost a decade. 
And of course, uh, you know, another popular senator from California, when we approached her, we said, we tried to explain the same to her, and her answer to that was, well, we got to get the money from somewhere. So on one hand, I have very supportive senators that have been deeply touched by cancer and the cancer struggle that wanted to help. And then on the other side of the fence, we had people that just really didn't care and really wanted to just move forward with it. And, you know, just it really didn't personalize it at all. So it's a struggle. It's it's always that, I don't want to say good versus evil, but there's always a push-pull and um so that's why Tamika and I are so passionate about advocacy, you know, at the local level because we need it to grow. So we we start local, but we think globally. And we're hoping that as we get more and more people within our own communities and that will grow. And, you know, I have an amazing, beautiful relationship with Tamika. She's one of my favorite people. I was so blessed to have met her. And we we don't get to see each other often, but we do keep in contact. But when we do... <laughs> When we do, it's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, I just have deep respect for her and anybody that's in it for the cause and that's why Tamika's in it for the right reasons. We're in it we're not, you know, this organization versus that organization. She and I have the exactly. same vision for the greater good and I think that's why we really have we get along so well with each other and with each other's organizations because it's all about the greater good and and, and doing this for everybody involved. Okay. Well, you know, Chandra, that's what I told the women in New York this weekend. To me, it's just about the work. Who's going mm-hmm. to roll up their sleeves and do mm-hmm. the work? Because this cause needs people on the grassroots level like never before. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. And when you're right, you know, we need to take away the stigma. There's too much weight that this whole HPV being sexually transmitted, there's just too much weight that it's given. And I was inspired while I was at MD Anderson last week, and I said, you know, everybody goes on, and they just want to separate themselves from the HPV being sexually transmitted, and to that I say, well, so are babies. Right. So that's all the weight I'm going to give to you. Right, well which is perfect. All right. The National Cervical Cancer Coalition is online at nccc-online.org. And, uh, Tamika, uh, are you using Tamika and Friends anymore, or is it all just survivor.org no actually i'm not it, it it's up because you know that's the name that people know and we haven't made an official announcement so i'll make it here you know on your show and you know about this matt but you know um we use survivor and tamika and friends will be transitioning into survivor that's great. You heard it here first, folks, to the eight people listening. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. Thank you. Thank you. And, no. I, and I'm sorry if I could. I had difficulties with my phone, and so I'm using my cell phone, and I'm getting text messages and emails like crazy. So my phone is going nuts. Well, you're saying all the right things. And uh, I'm really. You, you know, I'm down for this cause, and I'll do whatever I can for it. And if that means getting beat up and taking a little hit, I'm the right person for it. <laughs> the Lord gave us broad shoulders and broad hips for a reason. Isn't that right? <laughs> That's right. Very nice. Cancer didn't kill me, so nothing else will. All right. Well, we've been talking with Chandra Hall, the regional director of the Southwest U.S. National Cervical Cancer Coalition, and the venerable one and only Tamika Felder from uh, Survivor.org. Thank you, ladies, so much for a very spirited broadcast this evening. (laughs) Thank you, Thank you. All right, guys. You take care of yourselves. I'll see you in Vegas. Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty. Yeah, spirited show, to say the least. Yeah, okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> At least we're talking. Prepare to activate. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we do our best. We are, we do our best. And uh, God, this is like that. Lo- no, no. If you have to have little kids to know the Lori Berkner song, I'm not perfect. You know the song? Yes. I'm not perfect. Yes, I know. Anyway, whatever it is. That was for the four people that have kids that are listening tonight. My dad, my my wife, and whatnot. Anyway, I just hope everybody knows I wasn't trying to attack anybody. I just wanted the right information. No, to get it's out important. There. I, it's. I feel bad. Look, I feel like I'm a bad person now. No, no you're no, not I a think, bad person. You know, I think we all agreed at the end of the show. You know, important things to take away. Um, the sexually transmitted nature of HPV. Yes. Is you know something to focus a little bit less on. We're focusing a little bit more on health, on vaccinations, but also knowing that the vaccination is not 100% foolproof against cervical cancer, and I'm pretty sure every person who was on the show tonight can agree. Your new title is Voice of Reason. Yeah, seriously, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, now it is time for our closing sequence. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Number 293. Uh-huh. Or our 293rd broadcast. We have as much fun as we did, Pongo Stick. That's stupid cancer. Are you high? No, I had to, I had to fit it in right before the right before the, uh, the beat drops, as the kids say. Okay. You wouldn't get it. I had no idea. All right, we'd like to thank our guests, Suzanne Kane, Tamika Felder, and Chandra Hall. Next week's show, Stupid Infertility. Fertility rights are the hot-button topic of the year for young adults facing cancer. Research published by our guests on next week's show, Dr. Martha Clayman, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Northwestern University, and Dr. Gwen Quinn, Professor at the UCF USF College of Medicine shows shamefully low adoption of fertility navigation services across U.S. cancer centers. Boo! Julia Wagner in the Survivor Spotlight. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny K. Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at The Stupid Cancer Show, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here live next Monday at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody.